We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Let's turn our Bibles to the book of Acts, please, Acts chapter 1. And uh, last week when uh, we spoke on this, I received a comment on the uh, uh, YouTube page about the title of the book because I had made some comments on the title of the book and somebody said, well, it just means the actions of the apostles. And uh, I don't want to downplay what they said, but my argument really was not to make a criticism of the title as much as it was to think about the content from the perspective of what Luke wrote. And I made the case based on verse 1 where it says that uh, Luke wrote to Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, that was in his prior book called Luke, the Gospel of Luke, the third gospel in the order of our New Testament, that if that's the case, that that was what Jesus began to do, then Acts is what Jesus continued to do. It's Jesus' continued work through the church, through the apostles, by the means of the Holy Spirit, by proclaiming the Word of God, and that is what the book is is about. I think it's important for us to think, not to criticize the title of Acts, but to say, if that's what Luke saw the big picture to be, Jesus beginning to do and teach, and then his continuance to do and teach, what does that mean is happening with us today? Jesus is continuing to work through us and work through his church to build the church, isn't he? He said, I will build my church. So we have to have that Jesus-centered mentality when it comes to the work of the church. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's not our church. It's not, you know, the acts of individual people here. It's, it's the work of Christ in the, uh, in the midst of the church. So I just thought that would be a little helpful thing for us to to think about. And uh, there is some profit in thinking about the title of the books because the books were not, the titles were not inspired. You know, um, it didn't come out from the pen as we know, as far as we know, that Ecclesiastes was called Ecclesiastes or Revelation was called Revelation or the Revelation of St. John the Divine. I don't think they would have said that in... You know, the divine is kind of an English phrase speaking of John as, a, as an apostle, but he's not divine, he's not deity, you know. So um, we, we can uh, give some evaluation of those. But uh, So last week we really just introduced the book and we talked about the first verse uh, or first few verses, but today I'd like to extend into the next verses starting in verse 2 through 8. And so Jesus began both to do and teach, and then verse 2, until the day in which he was taken up after he through the Spirit had given, the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. 
For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what I've done here is just I'm kind of explaining these verses under the heading, the post-resurrection ministry of Christ. Post-resurrection ministry of Christ. By that I mean his pre-ascension ministry. Okay, I think you understand what I mean there. Obviously, post-resurrection could be any time after the resurrection, but I'm not including what is called his session. His current session, is a, that's a theological term that refers to his being in the presence of God the Father at the right hand, where he advocates for us, he prays for his people, that sort of thing. Thank God for that. We're not talking about that tonight. We're just talking about the time period he was on the earth after his resurrection and pre-ascension. And it consists of seven things. He did seven different things here. First of all, it says that he gave various commandments to the apostles. That's in verse number two. After he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. Uh, These are not all listed. Now, I would have loved if John or Luke or Peter would have written down a little notebook diary. Here's everything the Lord said on those 40 days. Wouldn't that be cool? But I think we're going to find that they put the substance of that in their New Testament epistles, and so we don't have to worry that we're missing anything that we need. But um, he gave various commands, and even though they're not listed uh, maybe uh, you know, extensively here or exhaustively, he did tell them, do not depart from Jerusalem. He said to them to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit, and he told them that they would be witnesses to Jesus throughout the world. So three at least commands here, you know, wait uh, for the Spirit, wait here in Jerusalem, wait for the promised Holy Spirit, and then be witnesses. Uh, By the way, I don't have these notes on the website yet, but they shall be in the course of the next few days as I finish this little segment of it. Uh, It's gotten a little longer than what it used to be, so I'm revising. Um, So he gave commands to the apostles. Secondly, his ministry consisted simply of physical presence. So not only various commands, number one, but number two, physical presence for 40 days. Where does it say that? It says... um, in uh, verse 3, to whom he presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So he was there present with him for 40 days. And if you recall, well, actually, turn your Bible to Leviticus if you have it handy there. Leviticus chapter 23. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus toward the end of Leviticus in chapter 23. It says in verse 15, so this chapter is all about the feasts, from the simple Sabbath days to unleavened bread, first fruits, weeks, atonement, trumpets, 
tabernacles. And I know that's a lot just to say that, and I can't keep them all straight in my mind sometimes. I really need to have a calendar that has them, you know, lined out. But uh, after the Passover and unleavened bread, in the Feast of Weeks, it says, and you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. And so this is what we call, uh, you know the name that we call this? Probably Pentecost. Yeah. So there's a five there, pent, uh, 50 days. And so what I did is, and I, you, I know you can't see this, but I laid out a little calendar, looks like a calendar of all the weeks. And on Friday is the crucifixion. I'll go from your perspective. And then Saturday, Jesus is in the grave. And then come over here to Sunday, he's in the grave, but then he arises early in the morning, and then he begins this ministry and so on my calendar, I have the letter M for ministry, this post-resurrection ministry. And I have that all the way through the weeks, nearly six weeks he has that, up to 40 days. And then it depends on how you exactly figure where the beginning and end is. But I have the Pentecost being on the Sabbath of the, I'm sorry, on the Sunday, the day after the Sabbath of after one, two, three, four, five, six, seven full weeks, of course, seven times seven, 49 days, and then 50 days. So I may have that one day off or something, but it's on the Sunday uh, when this occurred, which uh, seems to be uh, interesting that it's on the first day of the week. I mean, it does say, um, count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. After the seventh Sabbath. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and you go to that one and there's 50 days. And so if it's a day after a Sabbath, that means it's a day after Saturday, which is a Sunday. So I've laid that all out and showed, you know, when he was, when he was in the grave and when he arose and his ministry days and then his ascension and, and then the Pentecost uh, Sabbath. So that is very interesting, I think, um, just for kind of a little exercise. And remember, there were three days where you had the crucifixion, you had the Saturday in the grave, and you had the resurrection, at least. You know, sometimes we've said maybe the crucifixion actually occurred on Thursday, and then you'd have those days, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, with the part of Sunday. But um, we're not going to make a big deal about that at this point. I've, I've ceased, uh, or how, how can I say, avoided doing that over the years after I made my uh, piece about that um, situation with the date of the crucifixion. But anyway, the point about him being seen for 40 days was his physical presence was before the eyes of the apostles. They, they didn't have a one-off hallucination that, oh, the Lord is alive. Oh, I had a dream last night that Jesus is still with us, like somebody in grief might have if they, you know, their spouse dies or their dear friend dies or whatever, they have a dream about that person. They're like, whoa, that's kind of weird. You know, they're dead, but I had this dream. Maybe they're not really dead. And, or they came and visited me in my dream or something. They didn't have a one-time event. Part of the proof of the resurrection is that Jesus appeared repeatedly, day after day, time after time, for nearly six weeks, not just once. So... 
very powerful proof that he was alive. And you would expect that to be the case, God not um, expecting us to suspend you know, common sense to believe the things that we're seeing. Number three, what did Jesus do during his post-resurrection ministry? Not only did he spend 40 days of physical presence, but also gave various commands to the apostles. And thirdly, he provided many proofs of his resurrection. I'm heading back to the book of Acts in chapter 1, and it says that he presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. These are convincing, decisive, uh, certainly known proofs that Jesus was and is alive. They are things that what Luke is saying is, hey, I'm a physician. I'm not telling you myth here. I'm telling you history. As we said last time, he gives 64 names of particular individuals specifically that he knew or knew of from the book of Acts. He's giving real history. And uh, he gives these, he's saying these proofs were convincing. Anybody who saw it would agree. Now, what are these proofs? He says there are many convincing proofs, but I have several that I've listed. First of all, Thomas saw the Lord and he was a skeptic. He wasn't easy, easily going to be made to believe, was he? No. He said, unless I see, I won't believe. Unless I touch, I won't believe. You know, you guys may be a little crazy here, and I'm going to make sure that you're, this is for real. So he examined, literally examined the body of Jesus to see the marks of the nails and the mark of the spear. He looked. He saw. Jesus invited him to do that. This is not something that a ghost would do or, or something like that. This is the Lord condescending to Thomas's doubt and uh, thus, I think, doing so. I think doing so because he knew a lot of other people would have doubts as well. How many, what percentage of the population are skeptics? There's always people who are skeptic about various things, but certainly about something like this. Secondly, the Lord was seen by all the apostles. He was seen by the women at the tomb afterwards. Uh, he was seen by 500 brothers at once, according to 1 Corinthians 15. Um, I should have mentioned uh, he was seen by um, two disciples. Remember that on the road to Emmaus? I didn't think about that. Uh, it tells us in Luke 24 that he said, you know, look, see, I'm not a spirit. Spirits don't have flesh and bones like you see I have. And then he asked them to, for something to eat. And he ate it. You know, it wasn't like he was a ghost and he was chewing and they could see the food swallowing down his esophagus into his ghost-like stomach. I've said that before. <laughs> he was a real body embodied person. Um, so he, and, then they, and then he ate with the disciples on the Sea of Galilee. Remember that? And he, he, got, he got fish or made fish or did something and had fish there on a fire uh, and had breakfast with them and conversed with them. Can you think of any others that are recorded for us? Other evidences, other infallible, you know, convincing proofs of his being alive? I've covered a goodly number of them, but I wonder if there are others. Uh-huh. That's very good. Uh, Drew has reminded us of Paul on the road to Damascus. And... Uh, 
it was convincing enough for Paul, he recognized, oh, this fellow that I'm persecuting his church, he's alive. Yes. Yes. We've got the soldiers at the tomb, Becky mentions, which is very good because they knew what really happened and then they concocted a story to cover it up, cover it over uh, for money. So they knew that the body had not been stolen away. They knew that there was some kind of supernatural presence there. So, um, you, you know, you, you have to ask yourself, am I going to believe reasonable information or am I going to be incredulous beyond a reasonable doubt here? Uh, there is no reasonable doubt, it seems to me. But in any case, you can look further at those evidences. Number four, the fourth thing Jesus did when he was uh, in his post-resurrection or pre-ascension ministry, he was teaching concerning the kingdom of God. And that tell, is said to us at the end of verse number three. Um, the very first class that I took at the seminary graduate level was the kingdom of God. And the teacher was Roland McCune, who's now with the Lord. We went through a book written by his mentor named The Greatness. Uh, the book title was The Greatness of the Kingdom. The author was Alva McLean from Grace Theological Seminary. And uh, it was a fascinating study. I had not been exposed to that material before. Um, the, the material that I was exposed to was very generic about the kingdom. It was a bit confused, and uh, that meant I was a bit confused, but this really helped straighten me out and get understanding of the doctrine of the kingdom. And I believe that what the Lord was doing was something similar to that class. That class met for uh, eight meetings, about three and a half hours each meeting, so that would be... Uh, what would that be, 27 hours or something like that, roughly, or 28 or 30 hours altogether, plus homework, plus exams. Um, well, the Lord had 40 days to speak with the disciples about the kingdom, and the disciples expected the kingdom to come right away initially, and the Lord in Luke 19 disabused the crowds of that, and they, they expected the kingdom of God to appear immediately, and he said, no, actually... Uh, be like a guy going on a far journey and coming back. And in the meanwhile, he expects his servants to be good stewards of what he's given to them. But uh, then they ask here, is it at, at this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel. And he says, it's not for you to know the times or seasons. Um, so they ask, he answers, it was going to be postponed for a time. And uh, there will be, during that time, there will be what we call perhaps sowing and reaping sowing the seed of the gospel, reaping the fruit of souls, and uh, calling out people from the Gentiles particularly to be saved and to be citizens, uh, citizens of the future kingdom. So that's number four. Fifth one, fifth thing that Jesus did is he instructed them to wait for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And he explained this at a little bit more length in verse 4. Wait for the promise in verse 5, John's baptism, and so on. So a special ministry of the Spirit was promised by Jesus in John's gospel, chapter 7, chapter 14, chapter 15, chapter 16. And that is a kind of a multifaceted type of ministry um, where the Spirit of God is promised to the disciples 
Uh, I've taken it that it expands a bit beyond that and touches all of believers in some of the instances, but not all, because some of them are especially or specifically for the apostles, for special empowerment, for service, but particularly for what? Baptism. For John truly baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit, he said to them. And so it appears to me that you have kind of a a beginning of the new ministry of the Spirit with spirit baptism, and then it kind of expands or mushrooms into all the ministries of the Spirit that we enjoy today, like illumination, uh, well, illumination for the disciples, for sure, as they wrote the New Testament Gospels gospels and Epistles, and and a kind of indwelling of the Spirit with the significant new revelation that we have received today and the assurance that was, I would say, only partially present in the Old Testament. Um, there is not the amount of revelation or the quality of it. I should say the type of it, maybe the quality is not the best way to say it, Uh, the type of revelation which we have. I mean, they never had, for instance, they never had the full assurance of the removal of their sins. They kept coming year after year after year, always a consciousness of sins. You never had a believer who had this weight removed like what we have, okay? Now, it doesn't mean that we don't still have concern about our sinful selves and our acts of sin, of course, but it's a different ballgame in a way for us. So not too much on that, just to mention there was a ministry of the Spirit that was promised. Number six, Jesus answered the question about the kingdom, uh, at their gathering here in verse number 6 and 7, and uh, perhaps this is a little redundant with what I said before, but you know, they assumed the kingdom was coming, but they wanted to know specifically, is it going to happen now? And the answer to their question was, in effect, no, it's not going to come now. Um, they are not uh, kind of in the know about the things that God has not revealed, particularly having to do with the times and seasons. They, uh, he said they couldn't know the timing because the Father was the exclusive holder of that information. And he had chosen not to reveal it to other people. And then finally, number seven, Jesus issues the Great Commission. And that's in verse number eight, the last verse. And so this is partly in reply to their question about the kingdom. Um, They were not to concern themselves with that. Have you ever realized like, oh, that's not my concern. I can focus on this over here and not have to worry about that. That's what he's telling them. That's not your ministry. That's not your thing. They were to concern themselves with what they were commanded to do, which is coming up, you're going to be witnesses you're going to go to all these places, you're going to propagate the gospel, you're going to start local churches, you're going to baptize and gather those new disciples together, you're going to propagate the gospel to the next generation. And you say, well, you know, that's kind of repetitive, it's kind of redundant. Well, yeah, it is because there's always new people being born, more people need to know the Lord, population growing, population expanding, moving, um, and so many heretics out there that we have a, a long, a long uh, road, a long job, big job to do. So this was uh, on the basis of their eyewitness experience of Jesus' resurrection. They were going to tell others 
all about that. <clears throat> so I gave give a couple examples, like in Acts 4, 19. It says, uh, But Peter and John answered and said to them, what are the, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. It's just, you know, incumbent upon us to speak these things. And then Acts twenty two fifteen. 15, uh, this is the Apostle Paul speaking and testifying, and he says that Jesus told him, for you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. Okay, this is the message of the Lord through Ananias to Paul when he was there in uh, Damascus. So you're going to be my witness to all men of what you've seen and heard. And so they were to tell others what they had uh, learned about his death, about his coming again to be judge, about his resurrection, and all of that. All this was done up to the point of his departure, and Luke wrote about it in Acts 24. You remember, he, he, actually it's interesting because he writes up to, the resurre- or up to the ascension in Acts 24, including the ascension, but then in the book of Acts, he goes back and he reviews a little bit Oh, there was a few other things that happened right before his ascension. Let me tell you about those. And then the ascension happens in Acts 1 up to verse number 11. And uh, he gets to that again. And then he starts with the new material starting in verse number 12 approximately. So Acts 1.12 picks up with where they left off. So those are the things that the Lord Jesus did during his post-resurrection ministry. 40 days of it, all compressed in just uh, six or seven verses here. But hopefully that uh, is helpful to you, encourages you, and uh, reminds us of some of the basics, talking about the kingdom of God, talking about uh, that not being our main priority, but rather that we're to be witnesses uh, and that our church activity is focused on, on doing Jesus' work. He, he's working in the church. So... Let's pray tonight about that. Father, we thank you for allowing us to look at the text here tonight. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, you would help us not to take it lightly, not to despise it, uh, not to say, oh, how boring or uh, plain Jane information. It is profitable. There is a lot here. And please help us to put into practice what we have seen. May our church be that kind of first century church, that kind of ministry that follows what the Lord taught, not to be uh, caught up in side issues, but to be caught up in doing what you've called us to do, and we'll give you thanks for it in Jesus' name.